Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. I had it all. <clears throat> I had it all planned that I was going to talk about the Hardings, and then Bill turns up. I must admit it was different arriving in Cairns this time and not seeing Angela's face at the baggage place. But all good things come to an end, don't they? Everything has a season. I'll do everything I need to do with my glasses first and then I can get rid of those and we can... This is not my perspective on Psalm 23, really. It's just a perspective. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible psalm. It's a psalm that we can go back to over and over for different things. It's a psalm that even the world accepts. They say it at funerals and when they're trying to comfort each other. It's an acceptable psalm to those that don't even know you because it brings comfort and it brings hope. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the hope it brings into our lives. And I pray that you would speak to people through whatever I have to say. But I pray that it would be your words of life. Amen. My glasses are fogging up now. Um, Some of you have heard this story. I just want to start with this story. Some of you would have heard it about the Mexican fisherman. A boat docked in a tiny Mexican fishing village. A tourist complimented the local fisherman on the quality of the fish and how long it took him to catch. Bill and Andrew have become addicted to fishing because the snapper is delicious, isn't it? But the Mexican said, oh, not very long. Well, why didn't you stay out longer and catch more? The fishermen explained that their small catches were sufficient to meet the needs of their families. But what do you do with the rest of your time? Well, we sleep a little, we fish a little, we play with our children, we take siestas with our wives in the evenings, we go to the village and we see our friends, we have a few drinks, we play the guitar and we sing a few songs. We have a full life. The tourist interrupted. He said, listen, I have an MBA from Harvard. And I can help you. You should start by fishing longer every day. You can then sell the extra fish you catch. With the extra revenue, you can buy a bigger boat. And what happens after that, they said? Well, with the extra money the larger boat will bring, you can buy a second boat and a third one. And eventually you'll have an entire fleet of trawlers. Instead of selling your fish to the middleman, you can then negotiate directly with the processing plants and make even more profit. You can leave this village and you can move into Mexico City, Los Angeles, even New York, from where you can direct your huge new enterprise. How long will that take? 20, maybe 25 years, replied the tourist. And after that? Well, after that, my friend... That's the interesting part. When you and your business get really big, you can start buying and selling stocks and shares and you can make millions. Millions? Really? And what after that, said the fisherman? Well, after that you'll be able to retire, live in a tiny village near the coast, sleep late, play with your children, catch a few fish, take a siesta with your wife and spend your evening 
with a few friends. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's how we live sometimes. Sometimes we have all we need, but we think we need more. I just want to read Psalm 23, and as we're reading it, I just want you to think about what we actually do have. I've written it down, but you might hear more. So just um, shut your eyes if you like and just think about what we have and the promises that Psalm 23 brings. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? And when King David wrote this, how many of you can read that psalm and not think of Jesus? I dare you to try and read that psalm and not think of Jesus somehow. But when King David wrote this, There was no Jesus. We can read it now, knowing about Jesus Christ and about what what he's done for us and that he comes and he claims to be our shepherd. And he claims that we can hear his voice. But King David wrote this under under the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit without knowing Jesus Christ. When I read that, I think of Laura's word on rest and making sure you don't head head into burnout. I think of Jeff's words on comparisons, don't compare what you have to others. I think of Jaira's word about eating food and loving food and letting God have that table of food for you. I think of Kate's beautiful word about ministering to other people, social justice Jeff's word of mercy and goodness following you and can't remember his first name, Pearson, Michael, Ben, Ben Pearson's word on God being our vindicator in dark times. Though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, God will vindicate me and he is with me. So look at what we have. We have a shepherd, we have a protector, we have a guide, we have a friend. We have water. You can't live without water. And if you know anything about sheep, which of course the Kiwis here probably do, because, you know, all the sheep jokes about New Zealand. But a sheep cannot drink from a fast-flowing stream. They can't drink from it. The shepherd has to somehow slow the stream down. And often they would just build up some rocks and make a bit of a dam to slow the stream down so that the sheep could drink. Probably didn't have to worry about that in Israel because they've hardly got any water at all. But in New Zealand, there's a lot of water. And in Cairns, in the wet season, there's a lot of water. But they can't drink from that fast-flowing stream. 
And we're like that, I think, and we don't realise. We are not designed to live in busy, 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 busy. All this fast-flowing stuff in our lives, every day just blending into the other. That's not how we're designed to be. We're sheep. We need it calm. We need it peaceful so that we can really drink. God talks to us about Sabbath and about rest and all these things, but we know what we is good for us and we know what's not, and yet we don't do it half the time. We think we're indispensable. We think that people can't manage without us. We think that the business can't manage without us. As you get older, you realise you're not indispensable. As you get older, you realise that even the most amazing people in your life, people that have impacted hundreds of others, people that have died with a beautiful character, even losing those people, life goes on. Life goes on. We are just not that important in this world. We are to God. But we're just not that important in this world, not to what we think we are. Life will go on without us. We are here on this planet to decide what we're going to do with Jesus Christ. Are we going to accept him or are we going to reject him? That's our whole challenge of life. Once you've accepted Jesus, you're qualified to die. You're qualified. You've got your qualification. Off you can go at any time that he chooses. But if you're still here, well, you might as well do something of value and you might as well do something with purpose and you might as well do something fulfilling and you might as well hang around people that are like-minded and you might as well benefit society. But really, we're qualified to go. So we've got comfort, we've got reassurance, we've got security, we've got love. We lack nothing. So 1 Timothy says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. Just watch Call the Midwife and you'll realise you brought nothing into this world. And we will take nothing out of it. All you're going to take is your character. You can be sitting with someone who's dying and all you're thinking about is who they are. You're not thinking about whether they have a million dollar mansion or a European caravan. You're thinking about just who this person is. It's all about who you're becoming, not what you're achieving. But if we have food and if we have clothing, we will be content with that, will we? Really? Can we? Really? People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, just like that Mexican fishing village had it right, but the guy with the MBA, the qualification, he's in a trap. He's in a trap that you've got to get on this machine called profit and life and wealth. But there are many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, you could say the love of possessions, the love of more, 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 is the root of all kinds of evil. 
I like this poem by Loonging. Jomo, the joy of missing out. Have you heard it? Jomo. Oh, life, joy of missing out. When the world begins to shout. I can't read it. I'll have to get my glasses back on. The joy of missing out. And the world begins to shout and rush towards that shining thing, the latest piece of bling, the latest, trying to have it, see it, do it. You simply know you won't go through it. The anxious clamouring and need this restless, hungry thing to feed. Instead, you feel the loneliness, the pleasure of your emptiness. You spurn the treasure on the shelf in favour of your peaceful self. Without regret, without a doubt, oh, the joy of missing out. There is great joy in missing out. There is great joy in having less. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. If we really believe Psalm 23, then why don't we prove it by some of our actions? Now, so I'm going to talk about minimalism. Minimalism is not a new thing. It wasn't invented by the two blokes now who have millions of followers and have written books and blogs and become famous and do lots of TED Talks. They've just framed it for these new generations, but monks and nuns and Christians have been doing minimalism for years. I'm not talking about poverty. I'm talking about less, just what you need. Poverty is a whole different thing. Have you got more than you need? How many things are sitting in your house that you haven't used for over a year? I dare you to go through your house, just one room in your house, and throw out or give away or sell on Marketplace what you haven't used for a year. Now, because I'm a counsellor and I know psychology, I know that there are people that are allergic to things like regret and so they can't throw it out because what if they need it? What if they need it? And then when they need it, what are they going to do? They're going to beat themselves up. You stupid person, giving that away. Instead of just being able to find a way through and around. You know, this, this thing that is so hard for some people to ask for help or to ask to borrow it. We race down to Bunnings and buy something that we only need once and we may never use again because we're not going to go over to the neighbour and ask to borrow theirs because we can't humble ourselves or we can't stand and no. Now, if you're hopeless with stuff and you break it, then maybe you shouldn't go and borrow their things. But a simple life is seeking to only own what you need. That's a simple life. And you know there is huge freedom in simplicity. Possessions don't define who we are. The ongoing pursuit of external things prevents us from experiencing the true things of life, the real things. And why I was going to mention the Hardings 
was that when I first started coming to Cairns, I think all four boys were still at home. Four boys. I was expecting uh, clutter. I was expecting stuff everywhere. But, you know, if you've ever been to the Hardings' house, I discovered over six years of going there that there was really nothing new in the house. The only new things that were there each year might have been a carving that Bill did because they had a new member of the family. There wasn't new doona covers and there wasn't new tables and there wasn't new ornaments. There was a better kitchen, that was good. And there was a better bathroom for me, which was really good. But these are all things that you're not going to take with you and they're things to improve and to steward what you already have. But pretty much they're minimalist. What they have is just, if they have something, it's because it has a reason. That's the time we served in Tanzania. That's the time that we served in Congo. That's the time that I was impacted by going to Israel, whatever. Now, most of you, some of you know my story. When my um, marriage ended 10 years ago, I was in a bit of a dilemma because I was going to come out of that with $30,000. And I'm like, what, what can I do with that? I wonder. What could I do with $30,000? So I started praying and asking God what to do. How am I going to rebuild my life? I don't have a house. I, don't, I think I had a car. Maybe I didn't even have, have a car. What am I going to do? How am I going to rebuild my life? So I just gathered up what I needed, some clothes and my sponge bag, a laptop, and I moved in. Uh, with a family and I lived there for a year paying board working out what I was going to do and God just really clearly spoke to me and said keep your life simple and debt free simple and debt free and that's what I've done over the years I've kept it simple and debt free and I live within those boundaries and what I've really discovered is as I've cleaned up my mind and cleaned up all the clutter in my mind and all the baggage in my mind, it's been so much easier to clean up the material clutter and the stuff that I don't really need. I'm able to just let it go. If you hold things very lightly in your hands, even life we should be holding lightly. If we cling too hard to life, it becomes far too important. This life is a vapour, the Bible says, that's here in the morning and a mist that's gone by lunchtime. It's not much in the scheme of eternity. So we shouldn't hold it tightly because then it's very difficult to let it go. And it's the same with our stuff and all our possessions. Hold it lightly so that it's easy to let go. See, learning to let go is true wealth. We are wealthy with contentment, with family, with the necessities, with the world outside, creation. In the first 15 years of raising children, we had very little money. But what we discovered was the best things in life are free. It really was true. 
The best things in life were free. The bushwalking, the lakes, the beauty, swimming. Those things were all free. And we had to learn to enjoy them. I grew up um, pretty poor. Mum was a single mum with four children. There was no government help back then. Dad had disappeared off the face of the planet, so there was no money coming from him. And we had to rely on Rotary and Birthright and other organisations just for firewood to get us through the winter. The winters in New Zealand are pretty cold, as Bill and Andrew are discovering right now. Pretty darn cold. I'm a bit allergic to being cold now, because we would be fighting over the fire. And all the heat was going up the chimney anyway. But those things were so important to us. And I think what happened was I became a bit allergic to being poor because other people had this and other people had that. And when Jeff was preaching his sermon, that's what it was like. I don't want to invite my friends to my house. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. They've got this, they've got that. And, of course, you know, mum was really helpful if all they're coming for is to see your house, then they're not real friends anyway. <laughs> that doesn't really work for young children that are trying to impress their peers and everything. So we very rarely had anyone at our house because we were embarrassed and humiliated. But now I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place because part of me doesn't want to have nothing, but the other part of me finds it really hard to be indulgent and to spend. So the third insight for me was I can have money but I spend it on priorities and I give it cheerfully wherever I need to give it, give it cheerfully. And you know what? Your choices reveal your priorities. Every choice you make reveals your priorities and the choice you make with your money will reveal your priorities as well. We all know that relationships are more important than things. But why do we say no to someone because we'd rather watch Netflix? We all know that um, relationships are more important than possessions. But why do we say no to the company of people so that we can go shopping and we can get this and we can get that? We all know what the priorities should be. But we often do the opposite. So clinging to this life, clinging to stuff, clinging to more, it makes it all too important. So we're going to have a quick look at less is more from a spiritual perspective. Look, the only time that less is really not more is when you're having less prayer time, less Bible reading, less connection with God. That's definitely not a more. But my son and his wife have a little side business in South Australia making pizzas and Everyone loves their pizzas, and they are delicious. And they say to them, what's your secret? What's your secret? And my son says, oh, I can't tell you, otherwise you'll you know, go into competition with me. And so I said to him, well, you can tell me, because I'm certainly not going to start a pizza business. Um, and he said, well, Mum, this is the secret. Less is more. Less is more on a pizza. And I thought, that's a bit wise. Where did you get that from? Jamie Oliver. <laughs> Jamie Oliver. He taught me less is more. And it's really true. If you've ever been to Italy and had one of their pizzas, they don't like putting more than three toppings on. No way. Our pizzas are just disgusting to them. Ten things on top of it. 
Less is more. Spiritually, less busyness, more time for the important things, connection with God. Less doubt, more time for faith, more faith. Less anxiety, more courage. Less worry, more shalom, more peace, more sleep. If you're not sleeping well, don't put up with it. God wants us to sleep well. Stuff, more, less stuff, less stuff, more contentment. These are just sentences, but until you start to do it, you don't realise how powerful they are. They're incredibly powerful. What about physical? Less junk food, more health. Amen, kids. Isn't that true? Less junk food, more health. More health means more energy. More energy means more achieving. Less snappiness, less touchiness. Less clothes, more space. You know, in Europe, they only have a small wardrobe and they kind of go off, a lot of the countries go off the rule, you have 10 outfits, but they're all classics and they're all expensive. So one black skirt, but really good quality, it's going to last 20 years. One pair of boots, really good Italian leather boots, it's going to last you 30 years. One puffer jacket. And then we just change the look of it by scarves and things like that. They just have good quality and a lot less. And small wardrobes. Look at the wardrobes we're building in our houses. It's bigger than my caravan. The wardrobes are bigger than my caravan. It's incredible. So I've been forced in some ways to minimalise and to work out what's really important. And I threw some stuff out the other day because I go through everything on the 1st of June and on the 1st of December, roughly. I'm not legalistic, even though I used to be. Um, and I just go through everything. Have you used that this year? And it's quite hard. No, I haven't used it, but really... <laughs> and, you know, once I get rid of it, I've forgotten about it. For two days, I might go... <laughs> and now I've forgotten. I remember talking to a missionary once, and they told me, when we went to the mission field, we packed up in a box the things that were so precious, we didn't feel we could live without them. We couldn't sell them. We couldn't give them away. They said when we came back on furlough three years later, we had completely forgotten what was in those boxes. Couldn't even remember. Now look, things like photo albums, which young people don't know what they are anymore, but you know, those kind of things are really important, but it's about priorities. Less spending, more money. More money, more you can do in the kingdom. Less screen time. Oh my goodness, what that can do. What that can do. It can make you intelligent like us old people. <laughs> you know, intelligence, reading, outdoors, family time. I could see what the Harding's priority was by what they had in their house. I could see their priorities. Reading. Reading is the first priority that stood out to me. Music. These things bring pleasure. 
These things bring growth. These things bring intelligence. But what we're doing now is we're shrinking our brains. And if you don't believe me, just watch the new program on ABC iView, The Brain, and have a look at episode two and see what this is doing to us. So this whole time in Cairns, I've challenged myself and said, right, you're not moving, using Google Maps at all. Oh, look, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> I got a bit lost last night from Tiffany's house to the back of Red Lynch. But, you know, I found my way eventually. <laughs> and I didn't panic. And I'm not allergic to being lost. And I just told myself the truth and reassured myself. But this time, I've been to Kansas, this is my seventh time, but this time now I understand the layout. I understand the layout. Whereas before, I didn't. I didn't have to learn it. I've stayed in Mount Sheridan. Now I'm in Red Lynch. I've stayed in Whitfield. I had to drive past your house. I went past the house. <laughs> there it is. Looks the same, but there's no people in there. They had stuff hanging on your railing too. I know. I thought they would never have had stuff hanging on their railing like that. <laughs> Less driving, more walking. Wouldn't that be good? You're in a church where people are incredibly fit. That's a good thing. Less gossip, more friendships. Funny that. Less toys and gadgets, more intelligence, more creativity. What time am I stopping? <laughs> My mum, you know, she's 87. We don't talk about the past at all. But I get things out of her in a clever way. I said, Mum, tell me why you love reading so much. She chews through big, thick books at least two a week. She's down the library every week. I said, Mum, tell me why you love books so much. Oh, I don't know, dear. I said, well, have a think about it and let me know. <laughs> so then I come back. Have you worked out why you love books so much? Oh, I suppose so. Why? She said, well, that's all I had growing up. I didn't have any toys. I had books or blocks, and that was my choice. And she was a surprise child, so all the siblings were leaving home. Father was a strict headmaster. Her mother was off on cruises around the world all the time and hardly ever there. And she said the only thing she was really allowed was blocks and books. And then one day somebody gave her a doll and she said, oh, I just loved that doll. Oh, I just loved it. It had an eye missing, but I didn't care. I loved it. And then one day she was on the train for the school holidays going somewhere and she left the doll on the train. That was the end of the doll, back to the books and the blocks. Then... Her cousin, no, her, her um, uncle made, decided he'd, he'd make her a bike. So he made her a bike out of a whole lot of stuff from the dump. That's what we used to do back then. We loved going to the dump. It was a hobby. And we would get things from the dump and he made her a bike. And she had the bike for a week and she was loving it. And then the uncle decided he needed it and took it off her. And on top of that, I'm like, oh, mum. <laughs> and on top of that, her father was the principal of the school. When everyone hated him, he was so strict, so she had no friends, not one. Nobody liked her because she's the principal's daughter and he's a horrible man. So she sat at the back of the school or in trees on her own 
most of her school life. But man, she's courageous. She's tough. She doesn't worry. She doesn't have anxiety. She has great contentment. She's worked out what's the priority and what isn't. She can live with very little. I mean, she can even... Now she's brought herself to even buy cappuccinos two or three times a week, which was a big thing, but now she's allowed to now because she's done the hard yards. We've all left home. We can sort ourselves out. It's her time now. But you see, she's incredibly intelligent because she has read, read, read. Then everyone decided she needed a smart TV because she needed to be able to do this, that, and every other thing. She said it's boring, so boring. After 20 minutes, I can't be bothered with it. Turn it off and back to the book. Can't hold her attention, really, because she hasn't trained her mind that way. So, getting to the end. Emotionally. Emotionally less. Less talking, more listening. We need to do that as a culture. We're a pretty shocking culture with learning to listen to each other. Denise is really good at it. Down the back there, yes, you, Denise, you're very good at listening. Less stress, more sleep, more peace, more help. Why do you do stress? Why do you allow it in your lives? Why is it acceptable? Why? Why do we put up with it? It's not part of God's plan, stress. We're doing it to ourselves. Less self-focus, more others' focus. Less to juggle, more enthusiasm and energy. Less obligation, more ownership. Less emotional baggage, more potential. More potential. So questions to think about. What is the feeling that I would have to face to sell, give away, declutter, throw out? Now, why am I focusing on this? Because I know now from first hand the contentment it brings and how it changes your priorities. Your priorities shift over time without you even realising they're shifting. So what's the feeling you'd have to face? Would it be disappointment, regret? Would it be feeling inferior? What's the feeling? What is the level of importance I've put on my things? Look, I know with children it's hard. It's hard to have less. But look, I don't even... There's, I've got eight grandchildren and there's nothing I can buy them. There's nothing I can buy them for birthdays and Christmases. It's unbelievable what's in their houses. So I don't now. I said to them, I'm really sorry. I'm just not going to buy presents. Unless you say to me, Grandma, I'm, I'd really love this for Christmas. If you do that, fine. If it's under a certain amount, I'll get it. But otherwise, no, we're making memories. We're making memories, which is a darn sight more expensive, by the way. <laughs> it's a darn sight more expensive. You know, I just took three grandkids down one of the caves in South Australia. That's, that was more expensive than buying birthday presents. But it's a memory and I gave my phone to my grandson and said, here, you take the photos and I'll get those printed, you see, and I'll put them in a frame and there'll be a memory that he has. He thought he was just the bee's knees with my camera taking photos. And 
you know, it's a cave, there's lakes, there's rocks. And I said, I trust you to hold that nice and tightly. Do your best, buddy. And if you've still got my phone at the end, I'll be really happy. And he took that so seriously. And he took great photos, and now they'll be a memory. Instead of more stuff. I know now, with one of my children, that when birthdays come, she's like, oh, where am I going to put everything? Where am I going to put the stuff? What am I going to do with it? That wardrobe's full. That wardrobe's full. That wardrobe's full. So we got out all the soft toys and said, right, every year you're going to give away some soft toys. And they get them all out and they're like, oh, no, I don't want to give that one away. Oh, no, I like that one. When did you last cuddle it? I don't know. I don't know. What are we doing with all this stuff? Does a life with much less excite me or scare me? What does it do? Does it excite you or scare you? Would God really meet me if I decluttered my emotional and physical life to make way for him? Or do I just want to keep busy in case he doesn't meet me? In case he doesn't come close, which he already is anyway. Sometimes you've got to get rid of the clutter to see. Have I ever gone more than a month without buying something that wasn't food, petrol or the basics? Have you gone more than a month? You'll have to soon. (laughs) With the way petrol's going and the recession is coming and, you know, da-da-da, you'll have to work out what your priorities are. And lastly, it's your move now. I dare you. I dare you. In the Living Wisdom Schools, we learn how to downgrade an unbearable feeling. We learn how to get rid of an emotional bruise. Identifying it as part of the problem, which is what we've tried to do today. Getting some insight about it is another part of the healing. Daring to do the opposite is the breakthrough. We can know all this stuff, but until we actually do it, we'll never experience the breakthrough. Look, I'm just blown away how easy it is to sell any old thing on Marketplace. I just divide up my bits of bamboo and put them on Marketplace and they're gone. Woof! Pays for my next round of groceries. People buy everything and anything. So true contentment comes from accepting Christ. You know that, but why not experience it at a greater level? And having faith that in him you will have everything you need. Christ is sufficient and his promises are enough. Matthew 6, don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. Don't worry about that. Don't worry So that's my dear to you. Will you get rid of some stuff? You might get really excited about it and you might enjoy it and you might discover that it clears your head as well and it clears stuff out of your heart too so that you've got more room for the really important things, relationships with God and others and yourself. Father, we just thank you this morning that we know these things in our head, 
But to get them deeply into our heart, we might have to take an action. And I thank you that you've made a way for me so many times to go over to Africa to help me to keep readjusting my priorities. We don't all get that chance or that opportunity. And maybe it shouldn't have taken that for me to be able to really be convinced that less is more. Father, I pray that if you're speaking to anyone here today, that they would have the courage to begin to declutter their physical and emotional lives. And as that happens, it makes way for the things that are really important, the things that are of true value. Let us not be like the natives of the past that didn't see the value in things like pearls and we would trade them for things like a gun or some matches. Help us, Lord, not to trade your presence for all the bling of this world, the glitter of this world, the gold of this world that ends up being completely meaningless. In the end, it's meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. We just ask that you help us to adjust our priorities and speak to us individually about what we can do to really cling and understand the power of Psalm 23. In Jesus' name, amen.